Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergiera.com. Stop the applause, make noise for Jesus, go. That's what I'm talking about. I hate that you clap for me. I just, uh, am I loud? I feel loud. I feel really loud. Yeah, I feel hot. Can you just turn it down a little bit? Thanks, guy. And uh, my guy, my guy. Um, I, uh, I was telling somebody just the last couple weeks, I was like, man, some days I just, I just want to, I just want to shave my head. I, I just want to wear rags. I just want to bury myself on this platform and, and just hide behind the glory of Jesus. Like, I, I want nothing to be any sort of standout about me. I just, I just want him and him and him and more of him. Amen. And so when it comes to the applause, while I appreciate the honor, friends, I love honoring Jesus. Will you honor Jesus? One, two, three, go. Oh. Man, what an incredible time of worship. Can you guys just give it up? I mean, Phil's doing a great job in the bag. We've got Rachel in the booth. Our worship team is incredible. Can you just thank them and honor them? Thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you do. You don't just hold it down, you lift it up. Amen. And uh, some of you will get that later, and uh, it's, it's actually really good. Um, but this morning, we are continuing this series, uh, this season. We're going to go all year long, so I can probably just shut up about it now. But we are stewarding a prophetic word, Luke 12, 49, Jesus' chief goal. He laid it out, and he said, I have come to set fire upon the earth. Amen? Fire upon the earth. And that is what we are aiming for. That is what we've given our lives for, and we absolutely mean that. I mean that. I am settled here. I will remain here. I will galvanize and I will fortify and I will take my stand on the hill that is Grand Rapids, the hill that is Midwest, the hill that is our region until what? Kingdom come. Amen. That's what Takeover Church is all about. So this morning we're going to continue that and I hope that you had a, I hope that you had a great St. Patrick's Day weekend. Unfortunately, we live in a world where heathens have decided that, you know what's a really great idea? Let's hijack the fact that St. Bridget did it first and St. Patrick came later and they literally rescued an entire continent of Celts, an entire island of Celts, of pagans, of self-worship, idol worshipers, brought Christianity, not just Catholicism, but Protestantism, real Jesus, gave their lives for it. And for whatever reason, our city thinks it's a great idea to just have green beer galore, see how much we can consume of hops and green dye, and see how it goes for us. I hate it. If the only thing you know about St. Patrick's is what happens downtown at Irish on Ionia, or the only thing you know about him is that if you don't wear green, you get pinched. If the only thing you don't know about him is that you drink beer on this holiday, friends, I ask you, 
He's worthy of celebration. Go and look at his revelations. Go and look at his quotes. Go and read his writings because the man was an absolute legend. He is a forefather of our faith in a lot of the modern ways. He was an actual missionary. And because of that, because of that, an entire island of people have been radically changed for the better, for Christianity. Amen. Amen. So, that's my little rant about Irish on Ionia. And, uh, yeah. Jesus, please take over Grand Rapids. I can't even with this. What a ridiculous thing. What a ridiculous thing. Not to shame you if you enjoy going down to socializing. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the clear just motive to get belligerently drunk, see how much we can consume while just, you know, uh, what is that word? Um, you know what? doesn't matter. Let's just move forward. Let's just move forward. I'm upset about it. It's okay. You love Jesus this morning? Good. Because this morning, coming at you out of the book of Revelation, we talked about how we were going to go after the last lessons of Jesus. Again, let me clarify, I understand he is seated on the throne, interceding for us to this day, speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. I understand that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not mitigating or belittling that in any way. What I am simply getting to is that I had a word from God given to me that he said, if you want to see a burning bride in your region, you will teach the last lessons of Jesus that established the burning bride, the early church. Amen. And for us, we exist between the book of Acts and the book of Revelation. And today is the day where the last eight weeks of messages from me have all been set up to get to this place. And this is where we are going so buckle up, buttercup, because we are getting after the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? So if you're taking notes, there's notes uh, around your seat. If you'd like, we are a note-taking church. Um, get your hunger pads out. Get ready to abuse them. Because this morning, the title of my notes are this. Are you ready? Boiled and burning. Boiled and burning. Boiled and burning. We're going to be coming out of Revelation 1, and we're going to see how far we can get with that. Does that sound good? All right. It will be up on the Sky Bible. If you do not have a Bible, uh, we have lots of brand new ESV Bibles out in the foyer. They are free. They are the full Bible. They're not the half Bible. Like, it's the full Bible from our good friends at Crossway who hooked us up with the ESV Bible. So, grab one if you need it. That's for you. Take it. It's out of the Welcome Center. Sound good? All right, fantastic. Revelation 1, 1 through 20. Here we go. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. You stay there for two months. The things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to the servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are the ones who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace 
from him who is and was and is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness to the firstborn among the dead the firstborn among the dead and the ruler of the kings of earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord your God who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. John was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit in the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Paragamum, it's hard to say, <laughs> and Tiatra, and to Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. On turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet, and as though I was dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. John says, I died. <laughs> I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are those that are to take place after this, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So we're going to pray, and we're going to see what the Lord will do with that. Sound good? Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, Father God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you to be found in your house, God. I, I, I just want to go back to that, God. I just want to sit and just say thank you, God, that we get to be in your house. Thank you, God, that today, Lord, we get to be counted as your people. Oh, Lord. How good it is to be counted as your people, God. That we could be off, far off, living a life that we've designed, that we've built, that accumulates to literally nothing but separation, darkness, away from you from eternity. But God, you intervened. God, you met us at our lowest. God, you raised us from the pits. And today, God, we get to not only stand in your presence, God, but we get to be counted as your people. Lord, I love you. Father, today I ask, I ask Holy Spirit that you would come that you would mess us up, that you would give us such revelation, God, revelation of Jesus that would blow our minds and blow our lives apart, and then you would bring it back together, reconstruct what you desire to see in Matt McClure, in every person in this room, God. To reconstruct, God, 
Build yourself a bride. You have a willing, pliable people today. God, we will burn, we will burn, we will burn. So Father, come and have your way in this place. We love you and we have given our lives for your glory and we just say, we confess and we recognize, we proclaim with our lips and I pray we live it out with our lives, God, that our purpose, our purpose has the same chief end as your purpose. It's unto your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' mighty name of faithful church, praise God. How loud? Say it. Come on. Come on. So, quick disclaimer. First of all, the word I was looking for earlier was appropriate. I love how the culture wants to use the word appropriate, but our culture is appropriating St. Patrick's Day. So, eat it. Uh, anyways, quick disclaimer. Quick disclaimer. This is not a book study. This is not a book study. We're going to go in Revelations. We're going to dive deep. We're going to get after it. There is so much in there. Most pastors don't even touch it because it's confusing, uh, because there's a lot of things that we don't understand, and that is okay, and I will make sense of that later for you. But hear me today. This is not a book study. If you're looking for a book study, we can post it online. I got a lot of great books that I recommend on the book of Revelation, a lot of studies on it. This is not what this is. I'm equipping saints today. We are not having a Bible study. Sound good? Okay, there is a difference, and you're, you know, if you're religious, your mind's going to start trying to twist what I just said. Don't get it twisted. We are equipping saints today. If you want to go verse by verse, break it down, break it down. I have materials. I can tell you what that is. We'll post it online, but just know that's not what this is, okay? Sound good? We're all there? All right. Boiled and burning. Boiled and burning. Boiled and burning. Now, that is a fantastic title, and I'm going to tell you all about it. You see, here we have John the Beloved. John the Beloved. See, John, he had this specific relationship with Jesus. You see, out of his 12 disciples, there was three that were kind of his inner cabinet, if you will. They were his inner people. They were his most trusted friends. You see, in that inner cabinet, Jesus, he had Peter, whom loves Peter. Who's a lot like Peter? Keep your hands up. <laughs> Same. Uh, <clears throat> I want to be more like John, not going to lie. Peter was called a rock. John was called beloved. I think there's something there. <laughs> but there's Peter. And then there's, and then there's James, who's the brother of John. And together, James and John, they are known as the sons of thunder. And this is John. This is John of the sons of thunder. This is not John the Baptist. Jesus is his, uh, his cousin. This is James and John. Okay? This is John. John, who wrote John 1, 2, and 3, the books right before Revelation. This is John. Now the reason I point that out is because John's life is actually the lens by which we need to view the book of Revelation. His whole setup, his whole situation, his whole experience with Jesus has got to be our intro to the book of Revelations because there is a reason Jesus gifted him this revelation of himself. That's literally what the book of Revelation is. It's literally called in its earliest writings, the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John. <laughs> the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John. And you also, you got to understand this, is that it is a book that is to the bride. It is a letter that is to the bride. Now hear me today. That means it's for the bride before. That means it's to the bride now. And that means it's to the bride after. You hearing me? 
That means this is a book that is a living text to a living people, both those who have come before us, who will come after us, and those that are here today. It is for all of us. There are some things that will be specifically pointed out towards churches in that time, but are still obviously applicable to us as the Word of God, what, goes forth and does not return void. It is living text. Amen? This is a living text. And there's also things that are to come that we will begin to dial in and see in our world. One of the things I'm not going to do during this uh, moment of of going through the book of Revelation over the next number of weeks is I'm not going to point out that like a bear means Russia or anything else, okay? That's, we're not here for that, okay? Like you want to study it, you want to get into the nitty gritty, we can do that, lots of great things. But this is not turning into some political rally, okay? We will prophesy into the modern day politics, we will stand on biblical truth, we will preach only what the word of God says, but we're not a political rally, amen? We are a kingdom not of this world. We have a Lord and we have a king. Right? The church exists for Christ, not Caesar. The church exists for Christ, not Caesar. I love when a Caesar lines up with our morals, but we still exist for Christ and not Caesar. Amen? And we pray for Caesar when he doesn't line up with our morals, but we still exist for Christ. Amen? Glad we had that conversation. It's good. So John, I love John. John's the man. John's the beloved. John is the disciple, which I love it because he wrote it about himself. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. So eat it, Peter. And that was the part that was left out. Um, And it was great. He's the disciple whom Jesus loves. And one of the things you got to understand about being loved by Jesus, being in Jesus' love, is that it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. Now, I'm not that guy who screams, you better count the cost. I was just telling our team about this on Monday. You better count the cost. Count it before you say yes to the call. Count the cost. I could care less about the cost. Jesus is worthy of it all. When you meet Jesus, when you really meet Jesus, I don't mean that you've heard about Jesus. I don't mean mean that you've been to some great church services about Jesus. I mean when you meet the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one with fire in his eyes. Count the cost. It is worth it. Pay it in full. Give your lives for it. Sell the farm. Buy the pearl. Give it all, baby. Because he's worth it. He's worth everything. I'm so sick and tired of Christians trying to talk one another out of the call of God on their lives. The best advice that I can give you is, yes, the call has an extreme cost. Is he not worth it? Is he not worth it? Because John, John knew that he was worth it. You see, John, he's on this island, Padmos, and we'll get to that in a moment. But but see, John, he is leading the church in Rome. And John literally is a thorn in Domitian's side. Domitian is the Caesar at the time, just so you're aware. He's the emperor of Rome at the time, so to speak. He's the Caesar. And John, he is literally, this is actual history, friends, okay? I need you to get that this morning. I need you to understand this is a living text. We have 5,000 years of human history, and most of it comes from the Bible, okay? No matter what CNN tries to feed you, it comes from the Bible, just so you know, okay? Shots at CNN, yes. History records 
but not just the Bible, loads of other Christian text, atheists writing from the day, historians, all of them, everything concludes that this is John's story, that this is what happened in this moment, that this is how John arrived on the island of Patmos. If you wanted extra credit today, you could even call this message boiled, burning, and banished. Boiled, burning, and banished. But we'll see if we have time for the extra credit. See, John, John was actually doing what we preached about last week. It actually, history records that John was so much pulling down heaven into Rome by prophesying. Not just preaching, not just having great services, not just by gathering large amounts of people and yelling at them the word of God. No, he was prophesying to dead bones that they should live in Rome. Now, if you know anything about Rome at this time, you would understand that Rome is the single most defiled place on the earth since Babylon and before America 2023. Most defiled. There's Babylon, Rome, and us today. It is what it is. We need to go and we need to save people, okay? We need to bring Jesus to the masses because we have a whole generation right now that is either being aborted or mutilating themselves or dying because of stupid things on TikTok. We gotta stop it. You and me. It's our time. No one else is coming. You and me. We give our lives for this. And John, John was giving his life for this. Because see what John was doing is he was prophesying in Rome and he prophesied so boldly, so much that people were actually experiencing resurrection life. People were actually experiencing salvation, salvation, salvation. We'll get to that in a little bit. But they are experiencing true salvation where you hear the call of God. He cries out to you. He says to you, I will save you. Give me your life. Come bow a knee. Live for me. Give me your life. I can lead it. I can live it better than you can. I designed it. And these Christians, they're actually hearing it. And what is happening is chains are falling off. What is happening is he is ruining all of the sex slavery in the city of Rome. He is ruining all of the gambling in the city of Rome. The wild thing is, is he is ruining the, the, the witchcraft and the sorcery parts of Rome, which were all economical things. We don't think about it today as economics. This is, was a large part of the early world's economy. Fortune-telling, witchcraft, sorcery. And the wild thing is, is that Domitian, he decided that whether it was pagan, Jewish, or Christian, if you were practicing prophecy, it was sorcery and witchcraft, and it was deemed uh, extreme, it was deemed unlawful, and it was deemed that the consequences of it would be death. Could you imagine? You're just, you got a word of God for somebody at the market, at Meyer, at the mechanics, at the grocery store, at your dinner table, and regardless of how they respond, if somebody got a whiff of it, you would be deemed a sorcerer and a witch, and you would be murdered? Isn't that crazy? Friends, I can tell you it's not too far off. It's not too far off. We just prefer to cancel people and ruin their lives and reputation at this point, but eventually the ante will get upped. Why? Because the world always raises against God. So John, 
John is deemed to die. He is arrested for literally bringing heaven down into Rome. What is our mandate from Jesus? On earth as it is in? On earth as it is in? On earth as it is in? Now we live in a time and place where people are proclaiming, yeah, Irish on Ionia, raise hell. But the church can't even be found saying, no, 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 we need to bring heaven down. On earth as it is in heaven, the world is screaming, raise hell, live how you want. It's your life, be in freedom. And the church is found silent. When we have something better than earthly freedom, when we have something better than hell, we have the kingdom of heaven on the inside of us, and we have the mandate from heaven to go and proclaim to the masses that we need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And John was doing just that. And so the amazing thing about John is this, is, is his whole ministry, like we talked about last week, of prophecy. I love it. He is out there. He is prophesying. He is leading people to Christ. Salvation is coming to Rome. You know, he's being a Christian. And it upsets the order so much in Rome that the Caesar has to get involved. Imagine a church so bright, a church so on fire, a church so burning that Mr. President Joe Biden would have to get personally involved in the affairs to shut it down. And we ask ourselves why it feels like we're losing. I believe in this hour, God is looking for burning ones. But not just burning ones but burning ones who are willing to be boiled for it. Willing to be boiled for it. And the reason I say that is because what happens next is absolutely insane. So Domitian decides, you know what, little sons of thunder, death isn't good enough for you. Death isn't good enough for you. No, 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 instead what we're gonna do is we're gonna fill the Roman Colosseum. We're gonna get 80,000 people in this place. We're gonna fill every seat. We're gonna let everybody know and you know, we could feed him to a lion, we could feed him to a bear, we could put him in there against beasts, and we could put him in there against men. See how long he fares, see how it goes, see what happens. But no, a quick death, an easy death, being ripped apart for the amusement of people, that's not good enough for Domitian. Domitian is sick. Domitian is twisted. Domitian hates God and hates God's people. And he decides... You know what we're going to do with this little sons of thunder? We're going to boil them. I need a pot. I need a fire. And you know what? Hold the water. Get me oil. Get me oil. And what ends up happening is John is arrested. John is flogged. John is beaten. John is stripped nude. John is dragged out into the middle of the Roman Colosseum. Again, this is world history. This happened. The Bible happened. I need Christians to get around this, that we are sewed in to a history where God is willing to save his people by sending his son to rescue a world, but it's going to cost us some things. How do I know that? Because all of church history, all of world history, all the history of God's people forever has always said, living for Christ will cost you your life. But see, 
I mean, Jesus himself even said it, right? He who wants to save his life must first, what? Lose it. And we all just thought that that was a good suggestion. We all just thought that meant like, oh, in exchange. No, 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 it's literally die. Die so I can live. Die so Jesus can live through you. Die so something great can happen, so God can have a hand in the world again, so God can be a part of the conversation again, so God's word can go forth in the earth again, and we can see resurrection life again. And so John... John's the man, and I want to be like John. I want to grow up to be John. John, you see, 80,000 people chanting, shouting. It's not like the gladiator. It's even worse. These are some defiled, sycophantic, creepy, just completely given over to depravity people. Rome, you've never seen it done well in a movie. It's way worse. It's way worse. No HBO series have gotten it right. It's all been dark. It's all been twisted. But friends, it is worse. It is so worse. There are things that are just un, unspeakable that happened in Rome. And yet it was just commonplace. It was just culture. Not unlike our world today where Christians are going, it's just culture. It's just the world. Heathens going to heathe. No! Heathens might heathe. When are Christians going to live? When are Christians going to save? When are Christians going to prophesy to these dead, dry bones? Can they live again? They can if you open your mouth, if you stand for truth. See, John, John is willing to be boiled in this moment for truth. Truth being what? Jesus. Because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's willing to be boiled in front of 80,000 people after being flogged, emasculated, stripped naked, and beaten nude. And then put in a hot boiling pot of oil. And we as Christians, we have a hard time making the church on time. We don't engage in conversations because it makes people uncomfortable that we disagree with them. And I'm looking at what about being boiled? What about being boiled? Is he not worthy of it all? Is this just talk or is there power? Is this just talk or is it the real thing? Is this just a religion with a dead God to dead people and we all just remain dead forever? Or is there resurrection? And if there is, what is he worth to you? Because John, he was, to John, he was worth being boiled. Because what happens in this moment is John surely is boiled. He is surely thrown in there. He is surely in that place. And you're like, wait a minute, is this after the book of Revelation? No, Revelation is written afterwards. Because John, atheist historians, the Bible, Christians, all of it. World history records. It was like a man possessed by God himself. John refused to die. And he was possessed by God himself because he had the Holy Spirit on the inside of him. Do you know what that tells me, friends? That tells me that there is an ability to burn for God at such a degree, to such a temperature, that even if they decided to put you in boiling oil, you could refuse to die because you are already burning hotter than the oil they placed you in. My appreciation to anybody this morning. Even if all the world and world powers and everybody turned on you, decided to boil you in front of 80,000 people, you can burn so bright, so hot, to such a temperature and degree that oil, boiling oil, can't even keep up with you. It is possible. How do I know? Because it actually happened. 
And so you know what happens is this really upsets Domitian because John refused to die. There is a, the Lord right now is looking for his remnant, his burning remnant in the earth who is willing to burn to such a degree that they would refuse to die should boiling in oil be their consequence of following Christ. He is looking for this burning bride. He is looking for this remnant. Matt, this is extreme. Yes, it is. Our God designed us in extremes. Don't believe me? You're either completely his or you're totally of the world. You're either holy or you're sinful. You're either in Christ or you're in the world. What do you call that? Extremes. There is nothing benign about Christianity. There is nothing benign about living for Jesus. There is nothing benign. I'm just going to sit this argument out because I just don't understand. I just don't know enough. I'm just not as... We have a Bible. And he is either all of it or he is none of it. Because it all works together for him to tell us about himself. This is more than a love letter to his bride. This is a revelation. So many Christians today, hear me, hear me. So many Christians today, we live right now and we're going, Pastor Matt, make it make sense to me. Make it make sense to me. Make, make sin make sense to me. Make salvation make sense to me. Make God make sense to me. Friends, there are things in this life that require sense to make it work. God is not one of them. There are things in this life that requires sense to build. God requires revelation. There are things in this life that require sense to go and live in and live out and walk out. God requires revelation. Friends, you don't need me to make salvation make sense to you. What you need is to get before God in your prayer closet and go, God, give me a revelation of salvation. Some of us, we're so stuck in sin still. We've been following Jesus for 5, 10, 15 years, and we're still caught in bondage. And it's like, I just need salvation and atonement and all these things to make sense. How can one man's blood, yada, yada, yada. Pastor, make it make sense to me, friends. You don't need it to make sense. You need a revelation from the man himself, Jesus. I'm not preaching to anybody this morning. I pray that today would be a great revelation of salvation in this house. Jesus, or Peter, he says that we are all growing up into our salvation. What does that mean? That you've been saved, you're being saved, and you shall be saved. That salvation has a beginning, it has a process, and it has a finishing line. That salvation, yes, you have been saved, but you are an incomplete work. And friends, I am telling you, the deeper the revelation you get of his salvation, the quicker the process, the freer you will be. Be, and the deeper in Jesus you will be found. Yeah. Preaching to anybody this morning. Yeah. Can you praise him so I can take a breath? Yeah. <sighs> and so John is boiled and Domitian is upset and thinks something happens that Domitian didn't understand. I don't claim to know the man or be in his head, but I could imagine being so dumbfounded in this moment when all of a sudden the 80,000 people, again, history records this, do your own research. History records that the 80,000 people 
screaming, frothing at the mouth to see such a defiled act take place of a man who proclaims to serve the living Christ is boiled in oil and then he refuses to die. 80,000 people, history records. Atheists record. Hear me, those who hate God have spoken. 80,000 people in that, in that arena that day, in that Coliseum, they bowed the knee, they turned, they repented, and they became followers of the Christ in whom John preached. In the Christ in whom John preached. Friends, I am telling you, there is a burning available to us today that we can burn so much brighter, so much hotter, and to a degree that is so much greater than the boiling oil. And not only, friends, not only does the burning cost you, the burning will save you. The burning may cost you, but the burning will save you. The burning may cost you, but the burning will save you. You see, friends, I think we live in a time and place where we got a lot of people deconstructing their faith. And it's for the dumbest things. There's Christians who get a spiritual hangnail, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, God can't be real. And you're like, did you forget everything he's done for you? Every experience you've ever had? All of a sudden, we have pastors who are, uh, we, have, no, we have people who are deconstructing because a pastor said to him, hey, quit sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's sin. You're living in unrepentant sin. And sin separates. I don't care if you have a relationship with Jesus. You're driving a wedge between you and him by sinning. Yep. Repent. And then all of a sudden, we claim, ah, uh, spiritual abuse. He told me I was in sin. Yeah, trying to save your soul. Trying to save the soul of the person you're sinning with. Trying to get you to cross the finish line and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not glad you kind of made it here, faithful sinner. Like, just saying, just saying. And we claim spiritual abuse, but friends, can I tell you if there's one man that I know of in history that had, in my opinion, the right to feel abandoned by God, betrayed by God, forgotten by God, left by God, it wouldn't be Job, it would be John, because John was flogged, beaten, nude, boiled in oil in front of 80,000 people, and then banished to an island, and yet, hear me today, John didn't use his boiling and his banishment for a doorway to deconstruction. He uses boiling and his banishment as a doorway to deeper revelation. Friends, what will you use your boiling for? Friends, what will you use your trials for? Friends, what will you use this season in the world for right now where all guns are pointed at the church, all canceling is coming for the church, where you're afraid to speak up in your workplace? What will you use this season for? A doorway to deconstruction or a doorway to deeper revelation? You choose. You choose. Because you can't be benign in this. You can't. It's too dark. You know, I think when we gather, I think when we gather like we did today, and we sing a couple songs that have the word worthy in it. And I love that. I believe Jesus is so worthy. I believe he's worthy of everything. And I think it's so easy. I think it's so easy to gather together and, and we have a sing-along and we play spiritual karaoke and 
We can let the words, you are worthy of it all. Worthy is the Lamb, greatly to be exalted, greatly to be praised. Worthy, worthy, worthy. And it sounds good, and the melody's there, and the band's going, and we're in this moment where heaven is kissing earth in this room. 3584 Roger B. Chaffee, heaven kisses this room. How do I know? Because you got me up here saying the word kisses, okay? I don't do that. But that's what happens in these moments. Heaven kisses this room. And it's like, I don't deserve this. I'm not worthy of this. And yet we can sing songs. We can engage in spiritual karaoke. We can have a sing-along. And yet the word worthy rolls off our lips and off our tongues so easy. But I wonder, do our lives sing the same song as easy? Do our lives sing the same song as easy? Do our lives proclaim he is worthy? He's worthy because of how I love my wife. He's worthy because of how I love my boyfriend. He is worthy because of how I love my kids. He is worthy because of how I am with my finances. He is worthy because my testimony at home is the same in my workplace. He is worthy because how I live in church and out of church. He is worthy. Or does our lives sing a different song, make a different confession? Because I know John... John's life was, well, he is worthy. He is worthy even to the point I have to be boiled for him. He is worthy. And I wonder today, are we coming in singing songs, lifting it up and singing, you are worthy of it all, but then living like he's not worthy of any of it. What does our marriage say? He's not worthy of my marriage. What does our sexuality say? He's not worthy of my sexuality. What does my relationship say? He's not worthy of my boyfriend. What does our lives say? What does the long suffering with prodigal children look like for us? He's not worthy. I gave up on him. I handed him over. Just take him, God. I'm not even praying for him anymore. Is he worthy or is he not worthy? You see, this is a great thing. It's like we talked about last week. Is I really, I think the bride needs to understand that Jesus is the privilege of our lives. Being found in Christ is the privilege of our lives. And because it is the privilege, he is worthy of absolutely everything. The problem is, we sing songs like we did today that says, Jesus, the darling of heaven. Jesus is the darling of heaven, yet we have made man the darling of church. Jesus is the darling of heaven, yet we have made man the darling of church. And suddenly we treat Jesus like he is blessed to be in our presence. Well, pastor, you're just blessed that I showed up today. <laughs> you should just be glad I made it once a month. You should just be glad I didn't have enough green beer last night to not hear my alarm. I really received a lot today, Pastor. What did God receive? Because last I checked, worship is more than just songs. It's a sacrifice. Yeah. Worship is more than just songs. It's a sacrifice. Right. Worship is more than just a song. It's a sacrifice. What did he get? What did he receive? How do we live our lives? Am I preaching to anybody this morning? See, friends, if he is the darling of heaven, he must be the darling of the church. If he is the darling of heaven, he must be the darling of the church. And I don't just mean church service, church organization, church 501c35 certification. I'm talking about you, the church. Is he your darling or is he not? What is he worthy of? And what is he unworthy of? Ask yourself today, what do I believe about God? What do I believe he's worthy of? And what do I actually not have a revelation of yet that I find him unworthy in? 
I find him unworthy in my marriage. Why? Because I just can't get past porn. Can you? Or have you just not asked God for a deeper revelation of pornography? God, show me what it's doing. If your word says that sexual acts outside of man, woman, and marriage, it binds us up and it puts us together and it puts us in like barbed wire and it entangles and it ensnares and it does something to the soul that is judged differently. God, give me a revelation of what that looks like because God, if I could just see porn for how you see porn, if I could see women for how you see women, if I could see men for how you see men, if I could see sex for how you see sex, God, if I could see it from your throne, I know I could change. He's, oh, he's the privilege of our lives. So much so that John, he starts this whole thing off and he says, he is the one who is, is to come. And he goes on and he says, he's the firstborn among the dead. John is writing to the church at large. He gets a revelation from Christ. John goes from being boiled in oil to banished to an island of Padmos, which is a prison island where he's breaking rocks that will never be used for anything. He's just toiling his life away. And in this moment, he is still faithful. He's not deconstructed. He still pursued deeper revelation. And a man that I would say has every right to give up but has not, he sits there and goes, I know that God is. I know that God was. And I know that he is still to come. And he goes on to name off all of these mantles of Jesus. And the one I want to zero in on in this moment is he says, he's the firstborn among the dead. The firstborn among the dead, which means the resurrection happened. And if he's the firstborn among the dead, that means there must be more born among the dead after him. If he's the first, who's the second? If he's the first, who's the next? And that's what John is preaching to in this moment. He is looking at the church and he's going, you are the next born among the dead. You must be a resurrected people. You must live a resurrected life. You must live out resurrection everywhere you go. Or else what did Jesus pay for? The one who is, the one who was, and the one who will be forevermore. What did he come, die, resurrect, and ascend for? If not for you to be the next born among the dead. Then what that tells me is that if Jesus is the firstborn among the dead, that we are the next born among the dead. And that means our lives need to begin to resemble Jesus's and stop resembling ours. That means our lives need to reflect the kingdom of heaven, a whole heaven a lot more than it reflects the kingdom of hell. But for some of us, some of us, we've been living in spiritual camouflage. We've been living in spiritual incognito mode. We've been living a life. John is writing to the church and he is saying, listen, you are the second born among the dead. Jesus first, and he made a way for you to live, to really live, to resurrect your life and live the way God has always intended man to live. Are you? And the reality is, some of us, we live in camouflage. We live in such deep camouflage that sometimes the world doesn't even know we're saved. We live in such incognito, we tell ourselves we're sneaking in behind enemy lines, that our own flesh hasn't even detected that there's salvation in the tomb. Some of us, we live 
such camouflaged lives that the best radar system in the world couldn't pick up on a pulse or a heat signature coming off of you. Even though that's what radar does. It detects heat. It detects sound. It detects movement. It detects living objects. And if once you were dead, but now you were alive, ask yourself, am I on hell's radar? See, the kingdom of darkness has its own trinity. It's called the devil and his demons. It's called the world in which we live. And it's called your flesh. And ask yourself, have I felt pushback from any of these three? Have I felt tribulation from any of these three? We'll get to that in a minute. But have I felt the pushback? Have I felt the resistance? Am I living a life that not even if Jesus take notice of, do I live a life that the devil's taken notice of? Do I live a life that my flesh has taken notice of? Do I live a life that I can walk into a bar, I can walk into a restaurant, I can walk to my family table, I can go to the mechanics, I can go wherever, and do people realize that resurrection life just walked in the room? Because you're the firstborn among the dead. That's what John's pointing out here is that you are the next, rather, you are the next born among the dead. He is reminding the churches. He is telling them, this is who Jesus is. And when you know who Jesus is, you will know who you are. He's the firstborn among the dead. And we're out here incognito, spiritual camouflage. And friends, you can call it whatever you want to. I call it a corpse. If it looks like a corpse, smells like a corpse, acts like a corpse, and doesn't have any resurrection life at all in it. Yeah. I'm going preach to anybody this morning. That means that you are the next born among the dead. You are a resurrected people, which means you should have resurrection evidence in your life. You're not just called to be morally sound like Jesus. You're called to be holy like Jesus. You're not just called to be morally sound like Jesus. You're called to have authority like Jesus. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? This is who you are. And then John. John, who was just boiled for the cause. John, who was just boiled alive for the cause so much so that he refused to die, he says this. He goes, Die, John. I'm your brother, but I am also your partner in tribulation, in the kingdom, and in patient endurance in Christ Jesus. This friend, this is a spiritual litmus test of the burning one. It is tribulation, it is the kingdom, and it is patient endurance in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna break that down for you. You see John, John who's writing to these churches, he goes, I'm a brother, I am a brother of Christ. I'm a brother in Christ. I am your brother, you are my sister, you are my brother, I am a brother. But I'm not just a brother who graduated and went off to college. I'm not a brother who just got put away in prison and you never heard of again. I'm not an absentee big bro. No, I am a partner in this with you. I'm not just a brother who's absentee and has no skin in the game. In fact, my skin was boiled off of me for the cause, for the game, 
for what we're all giving our lives through, lives to, called living for Jesus. I'm appreciate anybody this morning. And so he makes this distinction between brothers and partners. He makes this distinction. He's like, I'm not just a brother, because he could have stopped there, right? If there wasn't something, an emphasis on the word partner, if that wasn't needed, he could have just said, I'm a brother in Christ. But how many of you know some of our brothers and some of our sisters aren't willing to pay the same price that you are? Some of our brothers and sisters, they aren't really ride or die with it. Some of them, they know Christ in name, but not in intimacy. Some of them, they know Christ in church, but they don't know him in their closet. Some of them, they know Christ in church, but they don't know them in the workplace. Preach to anybody this morning. This is who he is. He requires everything. Friends, gone are the days that we treat Jesus like he's blessed to be around us. We're blessed to be around him. And we need to get this right. We cannot just be brother in Christ. No, no, no. We need to be partners in it. And if you're not a partner in it, that means the bride isn't a partner of yours. Hear me today. That's what John's putting out. He's going, I'm not just a brother. I am a partner in it with you, which means there is a whole bride that you and I are a part of, brothers and sisters, but are we a part of it or are we partnering with it? Because it's not enough for the bride to go, I'll be your partner. We have to, what, partner in partnership with the bride of Christ. And so all of a sudden, John, he writes off and he goes, I'm your partner in tribulation. I'm your partner in tribulation. We don't live spiritually incognito. We don't live spiritually camouflaged. We don't live hidden from the unseen realm that if we're not experiencing some sort of pushback, some sort of turbulence, if our flesh isn't raging against us, if the culture isn't raging against us, if the devil doesn't see you as a threat, then friends, are you really partnering in the bride? Are you really burning hot enough to say that you are a burning and boiled and willing to be banished kind of partner. Because this is John. This is what Jesus requires. This is what Jesus is saying. My bride, she actually may be more of a remnant than she is a mega church because there's a small remnant in the earth that is full of faith and full of burning, ready to be boiled on my behalf. She is clean. She is dazzling. She is dressed in white silk, ready and radiant for her husband. Will that be you? Will that be me? Will that be takeover church? Will it be said of us? that we were willing to be boiled, burning, and banished? Are we partners in this tribulation? Are we partners in this tribulation? Because so many Christians, we want the burning that comes with the kingdom, which we'll talk about next, but we don't want the boiling that comes with the tribulation. And we don't want the banishment called impatient endurance. See, the kingdom, John says, I am, I'm, your, I'm your partner in the kingdom. I'm your partner in the kingdom. And you know what that means? That means you and I, we are not of this world. And that means you and I, we should have some sort of kingdom evidence 
in our lives. I'm not just your partner in tribulation. I'm your partner in the kingdom, which means that when you and I, when we walk into a room, atmospheres need to change. That when you and I, we walk into a room and we open our mouths, dry bones need to put back on skin. When you and I walk into any place, the kingdom of God is supposed to come with a resurrected people who carry resurrection life, who have resurrection power on the inside of them. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Friends, he is talking about a kingdom that we are a part of, that he was willing to be boiled for and to die for and to give his life for. And he's looking for partners in the bride for this kingdom. You see, so many Christians, we're living spiritual camouflage that we don't realize. John, earlier in this, he says, freed you in every way. Freed you in every way. Jesus has freed you in every way, yet so many Christians live in bondage. Why? Because we're not actually attempting to live in his kingdom. We want the kingdom burning without the patient endurance. We want the kingdom burning. We want the fun. We want the zeal without the kingdom living. You see, we want to cross cross county lines to go and visit our boo thing called sin. But we don't realize once we cross the moat of the kingdom, God's freedom doesn't go with us. You see, his freedom is found in his kingdom, and his kingdom has what? Parameters, and his kingdom has rules, and his kingdom has a way, and his kingdom has ways that will keep you free in his kingdom. But his kingdom doesn't go with you when you decide to go back and visit old flames, old chains. He's like, no, no, my, my protection's here. My freedom is here. I love you. I'm calling back to you. I want you to come. The kingdom is shining bright. No matter how dark it gets out there, you can always see your way home. I'm here. The kingdom is here. But out there, my freedom doesn't go with you. You might be free outside my walls, but you are free to chains and you are free to be devoured by the enemy. But in my walls, quit crossing county lines to go and visit sin. Stay on the prophetic ranch of Christ where his ways are your guiding principles for how you are to remain free. He can't protect you out there. Not because he doesn't desire to, not because he doesn't want to. Because he gave you free will to choose to remain in him and in his kingdom. And therefore, in his way and in his kingdom and in his place, there his freedom, his freed in every way, it abides. Because his rules aren't just to save you from yourself or to save you from further harm. It's to save you from those who wish to harm you further. His walls don't just keep you in and keep you safe. It keeps the wolves at bay. It keeps the enemy off you. It keeps him from messing with you. I would love to see the devil try and invade the kingdom of God. If the kingdom of God is paying attention and they're not asleep at the wheel, they will see a wolf coming. Hackles will perch up. There will be conversations. We'll go, we need to talk about this. How do I know? We do that all the time here. Trust me. I love my sheeps. I put up with the goats, hoping they come around and become sheeps. I know I'm saying sheeps. And we're on the lookout for wolves because we protect ours. 
we have, we have toiled and we have sown and we have tilled too much for far too long and given our lives to this to allow a wolf to sneak in and for us to be worried that you won't like us after calling it out. We've gone too far. We can't go back. Which leads us to, worship team, you can make your way. Which leads us to patient endurance. See, patient endurance, we, we talk about this and we think we have an understanding, but friends, what, you, what we seem to miss all the time is that patience, patience can't be imparted. You see, patience isn't a gift of the Spirit, it's a fruit of the Spirit. That means patience has to be grown, it can't be given. I can't pray patience into you. If someone writes on a prayer card, I'm praying for patience, I laugh. Because God's going to test you in order to grow in you patience. You don't realize that it's not a gift. It's a fruit. It can't be given. It can only be grown. And so what are we patiently enduring? Well, we're going through tribulation. We're people of the kingdom. And so I guess if you add it all up, we are patiently enduring either the return of Christ or the moment we stand before him in heaven at the end of our lives. And in between there are all of these things that we are called to patiently endure. But patiently enduring doesn't mean that you just become benign to it. No, no, no. You pull the John, and while you're patiently enduring, you're prophesying all the more. Well, I'm just patiently enduring for my kid to come back. Are you? What are you doing in the spiritual to see them return to Christ? Are you praying for them? Are you raining down seeds of prayer on their life? Are you asking God, Lord, mess their lives up until they come back to you? Humble my child. Make the road wide. Make the road crazy. Bring them to the end of themselves, God, and realize it's you. Well, Matt, that doesn't sound good. Doesn't sound nice, doesn't sound happy. What if it saves their soul? No one wishes hard times on their kid, but if the kid isn't coming to know Jesus, which is the life, he's the way, the truth, and the life. What are you doing to patiently endure for your healing? Are you asking, seeking, knocking at the door? Are you remaining, going, God, I know that you're able. God, I know that you will. God, I know that you can. God, I'm asking, I'm asking, I'm asking, I'm asking, I'm asking. Those that have not, ask not. Notice when Jesus says, ask not, it doesn't say, ask one time. It says, ask not, which means it may take multiple asks, it may take single ask. It doesn't matter because Jesus is the arbiter of your healing and he is waiting for a bride that says, I will patiently endure. Are you patiently enduring? for resurrection in your marriage? Are you patiently enduring resurrection in your sexuality? Are you patiently enduring believing, contending for, interceding, and standing for revival in our region? Revival in your kids, revival in your marriage, revival in your sexuality, revival in your mind, revival in your body, revival, revival, revival. It's on everybody's lips right now, but are we patiently enduring for it? 
the kingdom the kingdom is flashy the kingdom has flair the kingdom has a shine has a taste it's laced you can taste the kingdom you can see the kingdom the kingdom draws you in but are you willing to go through the boiling to continue burning and are you, are you willing to remain burning even in the face of banishment would you stand this morning as we continue to go into the book of Revelation as we continue to look at these last quote unquote lessons of Jesus these prophetic words it would be my encouragement to you to begin to ask Jesus for a deeper revelation of himself in a moment we're going to sing a song called come rest on us and I love this song rest on us it's so good but so many Christians the only time we ask God to rest on us is when we're in church not when we're in the boiling pot the only time we ask God to come rest on us is when we sing the song not when we're going to the mission field called the workplace the only time we ask God to rest on us is when we're in church and not at the dinner family table but I am telling you, I am telling you, I am telling you. A relationship with Jesus will require all of you. But friends, once you have tasted and seen how good he is, you can't help but, but give him all of you. That means that you will chase revelation if it means you go deeper with him. It means you will chase revelation of him if it means you can have a more intimate relationship with him. It means that you will give up and you will go any length. You will sacrifice anything in worship. You will say, God, it is the privilege of my life just to even be found in your house, let alone you coming and resting upon me. God, would you do it? God, would you do it? And so right now, we're going to kill the lights. The band is going to sing. We're going to make this an intimate setting. And right now, the altar's open. We're really trying to establish a culture of you knowing you can leave your seat and you can rush to the altar to sit and kneel before God. Because right now is a moment where you can prophetically take a stand, where you can tell your mind, you can tell your heart, you can tell your soul, you can tell your body. I need a deeper revelation of Jesus. This life requires a deeper revelation of Jesus. I want to run this race in total freedom so that when tribulation comes, I remember I'm a kingdom. So when I have to patiently endure, I can remember I am a kingdom, that I am this priesthood, that I am set apart, that I am set above, that I am set in his ways, and I am set on him. It's who he is, it's who he is, it's who he is. So that's you. Let's just begin to worship. Let's begin to ask Him for a deeper revelation. Quit asking for this to make sense to your head and start asking Him to give you a revelation from His throne. Jesus says, lean not on your own understanding. What does that mean? You can't figure Him out because He's already got you figured out. You have to pursue Him to understand Him. But you only understand Him by what He reveals, which is what? Revelation. So right now, let the spirit of revelation come. 
spirit of revelation come right now Lord right now we ask God if we are one of your lampstands God would you move in this room would you move in this room God would you check our wicks would you check our oil would you check our hearts would you check our minds would you check our posture God this morning God spirit of revelation come Holy Spirit would you make Jesus come alive to us would you reveal Jesus to us would you reveal us to you God we want to know ourselves how you see us God we want to know you how you see you God this morning spirit of revelation would you come spirit of revelation would you come spirit of revelation would you come we ask that you would rest on us as you rest you would reveal you would tell us things we know not of not of Jesus show us Jesus reveal to us Jesus this morning Holy Spirit come God, show us what it's like to live a boiling and burning, banished life that is so complete, that is so full, that no matter where we go, we have the revelation of Jesus, and that's enough, that satisfies, that satiates. We won't leave emaciated, no, you satisfy the hungry God. We thank you, Jesus. Spirit of revelation, come in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come rest on us. It's you.